Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, what's happening, everybody? It's your big booby bruiser, Holden McNeely. And it's me, your wolf-shooting, cool Indiana Jones pastiche matrix lady who's not just about her sexuality, Wizard Jake. And we are so excited today to do the Tomb Raider episode. I feel like this, much like our Tetris episode that we just did, this episode really was one of those where I was doing research on it, and then um, and and I didn't know how interesting it would be. And man, was this a fascinating tale about a small time, tiny little uh, dev company that could uh, creating giant waves uh, on on the new consoles with uh, a brand new art form of three D uh, adventure action adventure games and then and then the rise and fall of it all and and to see it, it the, everybody reach such great heights of success just to uh collapse spoiler alert uh, all it within in on itself and yet this franchise still prevails i am currently playing rise of the tomb raider right now i actually just got back into it i put it down for a while uh and i'm i'm totally loving it so it's so surreal to kind of walk in here and be like no after i'm done doing this episode jake i'm gonna go home and play Play more Tomb Raider. Uh, what got me the most about this topic is that it definitely put me back in a very specific time and yes. place that I hadn't been thinking about for a very long yes. time. And that is that like late 90s teen dude culture. Yeah, lad mags. And lad mag. I'm talking Maxim. I'm talking yep. loaded. I'm talking yep. stuff. I'm talking pumpers. I'm talking <laughs> pumpers. Shootums. Shootums. Ta- I'm talking glorp. I'm talking <laughs> wooey. Look at them knickers. Ain't it in it <laughs> magazine? <laughs> like something about the era. Like we got computer graphics, we got Photoshop, and we got breast implants all at the same time. And it just gave us this like fucked up vision of the future, which yes. Lara Croft was primed to sit in. Uh, that beeping you hear will have it yes. throughout the episode. We are in-, <laughs> in a new studio. Uh, LPN moved to a new studio, and there is a beeping that is definitely a fire alarm that is out of batteries <laughs> that is trying to let us know about that. We have scoured the apartment. We took to, we took apart both fire alarms and carbon monoxide detectors uh, that we, we could find, and the beeping is still happening, but that is fine. I'm not going crazy at all. Hey, hold it. Hey, hold it. Pardon our dust. That's that's the thing. That's like the thing on signs when there's construction. 
Pardon our dust. Pardon our audio dust. Jake, this isn't at all uh, amazing because I was just telling you about how there was, there is an incessant beeping noise <laughs> in my apartment complex that no one can find the source of that is slowly driving me insane just to come here and have an incessant beeping noise. <laughs> this is the shittiest Edgar Allan Poe story I'm of all time. fucking going the incessant beeping noise. But let us not talk too much about the incessant beeping noise. Try to find it if you can, by the way, listeners at home. Uh, this let's let's get into it. Derby, England in 1998. The middle of the Midlands. The middle of the Midlands and the founding of a little-known dev company called Core Design, which was mostly former employees of Gremlin Interactive, which is a British software house based in Sheffield, established in the 1984. By the way, notice I didn't say game dev. I said software house, because that is kind of what we're dealing with right now. This Gremlin Interactive was literally a computer store called Just Micro, and then they uh, became a software house uh, and started their own co- company, creating their own software. They primarily marketed. Uh, yeah, their but- primary market was the eight-bit range of computers, such as the uh, ZX Spectrum or the Commodore sixty-four, which was huge. Like the same way that Nintendo kind of blew up the home, uh, like kind of brought the digital age to homes in America. These, the ZX Spectrum, the Commodore sixty-four, the B. BBC Micro, if you're yes. a fucking ponce, um, <laughs> uh, were kind of the the home introduction of uh, the digital age for British households. And in addition to playing games, you know, they had you could program. A, a huge part of that kind of uh, a scene was like getting magazines with the actual like computer basic per, like instructions on it and having to type it out by hand yes. and like making sure it got transferred to uh, an audio tape because they used audio tapes because memory was so expensive. I don't care how many Dragon Ball Z bootleg tapes you have. <laughs> I don't care how many uh, issues of Superman and Batman or fucking X-Force that you own. You will never be as nerdy as a person literally typing the code in so that they could play their own video game back when computers were looked at as some sort of obscene device that only at the utmost egghead owned. I got to I got to say looking at the core design kind of like oeuvre it's kind of this who's who of like oh fuck that game yeah. that like you barely remember like stuff like Chuck Rock and like uh-huh. uh Wonder Dog they really picked winners like these are the systems they made uh, they made uh, games for uh the Commodore 64 the Sega CD the Amiga the 32X the Atari Jaguar like really picking winners core design the Amstrad CPC I don't even know what that is Jake I don't know what that is this is 25 people all packed into a converted Victorian style house uh, on the Ashbourne Road in Derby. This is like uh, a, just a bizarre hodgepodge of, of DIY type folks just making software. And in 1996, rather, they are acquired by Eidos Interactive. And that's going to be a huge part of the story. This story really re- revolves around the relationship between Core Design and Eidos, the publisher. I always heard Eidos. Eidos, either way, whatever. I pronounce things wrong at a constant rate. I think we've learned that. That is one thing I've learned about myself doing Wizard and the Bruiser. I just, you know, I create a way to say it in my fucking stupid head and that's how it works out uh and the most key player (laughs) the most key player in all of this is a man named toby guard or horny toby as they used to call him i mean he claims it's uh, it's honestly toby is one of the more fascinating figures 
um, that actually there's a few, there's a few, there's a lot of like very fascinating people in this. Toby is, I feel like the most fascinating because I've watched interviews with him and he's this very like mousy guy. If you look at old photos of him, he's practically like half the size of a man. I love the picture. And by the way, this is a lot, uh, a lot of what we're pulling from is a phenomenal Eurogamer article that I'd have to give credit to. I got so much of them. It's kind of an oral history of the whole Tomb Raider uh, franchise up until the crash of everything and we'll get to that later kind of everything that happened before the reboot that Eurogamer article that you sent is uh, maybe my favorite kind of article that we yeah. come across yeah. uh, in this show where I've been researching for a week and forming like a loose idea of the timeline of that everything just like confirms all of it and then and... it's just like oh you idiot you could have just read this thing <laughs> You dumb dumb. Exactly. <laughs> I've started to learn Google making of and then the thing we're trying to research before even going to Wikipedia because a lot of times there's like an incredible article kind of like we got with Street Fighter 2, kind of like what we got with uh, Final Fantasy 7 with mm-hmm. the oral history from Polygon. They, they're, they're, they exist. They're out there. You know, Masters of Doom, of course, an entire book dedicated to it. They are out there from time to time and it's so wonderful that these stories are getting out there and it's so wonderful that we can at least find these articles and things like this and and really kind of get it to anybody who's curious who listens to our little show. I, I uh, These articles are so amazing and the work that was done to put that thing together, I, I don't even know, I forget what it, exactly the name of it was, but again, if you just look up Eurogamer making of Tomb Raider, you can find it. And it oh, I have it up right here. It's uh, so 20 good. 20 years on, the Tomb Raider story told by the people who were there. And some of the people who were there, you already mentioned Toby Gard. Oh, and the reason why I was going to bring this up, uh, the picture of the, of the six-person team who made the first Only Tomb Raider. People. They t- if someone was like, that's Radiohead making their first album, <laughs> I'd have been like, absolutely. They're all wearing like Doc Martens. They all look super 90s. And they all look like an indie, like alternative rock band. They even have Heather Gibson, the one girl. The one girl, exactly. <laughs> and she is awesome. She's a fascinating character. Another very important character in all of this is Jeremy Heath Smith, who is the CEO of Core. Uh, of Core. Um, and uh, he goes to Ken Kutara. Uh, in the U.S. and has a meeting with him who shows him the PlayStation. And this is the first time that Jeremy is seeing the PlayStation and and, and realizing, uh-oh, oh shit, oh fuck, rip my dick off because I'm about to come up with a really good idea. The PlayStation's the future. We need to make a game for this whole newfangled PlayStation situation. But Jeremy, you said the 32X was the future. You stand there and hold my whiskey like I pay you to do. Yes, Mr. Heath Th- Smith. There you go. Now, now you put your just your balls out of your pants so I may laugh at them. It's, I just think Virtua Racer is an excellent title. <laughs> Super Mario is an idiot. <laughs> Jeremy Heath. That's Smith. a terrible Midlands accent for everyone involved. <laughs> no, I'm, the I'm, Midlands are so British that they actually it becomes an American <laughs> accent. It's so intensely British it just becomes it fully forms uh, uh, American dialect. Anyways, I'm talking out of my ass. So let's bring it back up into my throat. Let's figure out how to. T- Talk about the story at hand here. He comes back and immediately forms a meeting with the rest of the company. And he says, this is the future. 3D gaming is the future. And we need pitches right now. And in this very meeting, this is this is right off the top. Toby Guard says, hey, let's do a third person game in which the player would raid tombs underneath pyramids. That was his big pitch uh, immediately, not with, just right off the top of the dome. So it is a six person team is formed. Uh, have the names right here. We've got um, 
programmer Gavin Rummery. He's a big, big player. Uh, Toby's main partner is programmer Paul Douglas. Again, huge player. They they are like super tight, the two of them. You've got level designers, Heather Stevens, the one girl, and uh, Neil Boyd, and another programmer, Jason Gosling. Just, just a six-person team that made the very first Tomb Raider, and that is like all the way through to its completion. They had a lot of difficulty with the fact that there had never really been a three-dimensional action-adventure before, and people say that, oh, they were super influenced by Super Mario 64, but this plan was in place well before Super Mario 64 started getting its planning process going. So actually, these really are the... Toby Guard is on the forefront and his team, but especially him and the way that everyone talks about him, they do refer to him, some people at times, as a genius, as as this like brilliant, brilliant mind that was kind of uh, quiet and shy, but he could also be very... Um, brash and sort of uh, uh, witty. He was, he was like a, he was a nerd. He was an honest to God nerd where like, uh, you know, and certain settings he's very shy and very cagey and other settings if he gets like kind of worked up into a nerd froth, he can be very outspoken. <laughs> I don't know what that's like. Ooh, yummy nerd froth. That's the thing we have to understand is so like everyone knew that this crude polygon technology was coming out, but like nobody quite knew what to do with it. Uh, in our It episode, we talked about how uh, Quake came out in 1990 Super Mario 64 came out in 1996 and Tomb Raider ended up coming out in 1996 but before then all these companies are just kind of like sitting here with these like crude processors and like trying to figure out what to do Um, the uh, because of Core's uh, close relationship with Sega at the time uh, they were also co-developing for the, uh, the game 32x no for, for the uh, Sega Saturn Sega Saturn Tomb right, Raider right, 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 technically right, right. got its start on a Sega Saturn development kit yes but they were working simultaneously on the PlayStation um, uh, uh, version uh, well it did weird, al- weird it thing. did also come out on the Saturn though as well right yes so one one factoid I read was that it came out on the Saturn and and it, uh, actually it bit the Saturn in its ass a little bit because there was a lot of bugs that they discovered after its release and then they were able to fix all of those bugs in time for the PlayStation release so it was actually kind of like a weird pre-alpha situation yeah, the Saturn is legitimately one of the most notoriously bitchy consoles to develop for um, unlike literally every other piece of 3D technology that you are familiar with everything from the PlayStation to your NVIDIA graphics card uh, renders graphics with uh, triangles tries uh, the Saturn used like two coprocessors and a weird Oof. variety of like programming to use uh, quads, which is, you know, squares and rectangles, which is like uh, which genuinely makes it like twice as hard to program for because mm. the way you render something won't work between the two uh, versions. You have to kind of like use all these weird workarounds to get it to function. Um, but. The only thing they settle on this initial meeting is you need like enclosed kind of spaces because you can't render that many polygons and you need a lot of like repeating textures because like texture, you know, the, the RAM in these consoles are very limited. So tombs like underground caverns is actually a very like nice symmetrical kind of space to explore. And uh, after they settle that, Toby gets to work on developing the character and the story yes, for this yes, game. Yes, yes, yes. Also, I just want to throw it out there before we get into the creation of Valara Croft. I wanted to talk about briefly that just that these are kids. 
Toby is hired as a teenager to work for Core. His first game being, uh, what is it, BC Racers. These are all very, very young, young folks that are ready to just kind of like hit the ground running and just ha literally like focus all of their energy on creating these games and everything. You know, they don't quite have families yet and things like that that come into play. Um, and so Guard, Guard initially d designs, well, okay, this is a point of contention actually. I've heard a lot of different reasons for why, why, uh, how Laura came to be essentially, mm -hmm. but originally it was said that he created a male character as the protagonist. Because who searches through underground tombs? None other than America's favorite uh, professor, Indiana Jones. Yes, it was. Or a Doc Savage. You know, the swashbuckling uh, explorer archetype is like a guy in a khaki shirt with half the buttons undone. So, one story is that uh, in early design docs, they wanted, uh, Core wanted for him to ha give players choice of player character between a man and a woman, um, which gives us a very early version of Lara. And then since having two choices would double the work on cutscenes and all that, they ended up uh, deciding to cut the male character because uh, Toby was enjoying the Lara character better. But there's another story that states that the company uh, co-founder, Jeremy Heath Smith, you're going to hear him again, time and time again. He's, a, again, such a huge player in this story. He was worried that the character would be seen as derivative of Indiana Jones, so Guard changed the character's gender. It kind of goes back and forth, but either you way... You want to hear a weird reason I heard? Okay. I, I, I was like listening to something, uh, and they were saying that it was the fact that the third-person view required so much visibility of the terrain yeah. that they like that a like a strong male character physically took huh. up more space interesting and so by slimming down the character into a woman you were more free to like see where the next ledge was coming right from. because the only bigness about her would be her gigantic yabos and those would be sort of in the front of her and it wouldn't take up too much screen space mm -hmm. <laughs> we're gonna get into laura's breasts very soon here, won't we, Jake? Won't we be talking about her? I mean, breasts? I want to get into those those digital <laughs> horny magnets. triangular. Just how horny were children in the '90s that that was a sort of point of hornality? It was. We'll get it. We'll get we'll into, into Lara Fever. They pushed the hornality on. on right the now, Lara Croft is but a horny glimmer in Toby Gard's eye. <laughs> they were said to uh, originally. She was named Lara Cruz. Laura. Laura Cruz until they decided to make her way more British. Well, it's just they were like, oh man, our very European audience will probably prefer to have a very European lady. Oh, here's another funny reason or, or, or interesting explanation for why they went with a female protagonist that uh, Toby Gard's uh, big influence was Virtua Fighter. And he said, it became clear to me watching people play Virtua Fighter, which had kind of the, the which was kind of the first big 3D character console game, that even though there were only two female characters in the lineup almost every game i saw being played someone was picking one of the two females this is th honest to god this is uh one of the things that gives that makes toby more like compelling and believable to me like uh -huh. i feel like i know this guy is the way that his reasoning has kind of shifted over the years because i can easily imagine a 20 like someone in his early 20s maybe even 19 i didn't like work out the timeline correctly drawn like a fucking you you can see the original sketches of laura cruz and uh eventually lara croft he was fucking horny. He like, you know, this was the 90s, like image comic shit, like Rob Liefeld, Todd yep. McFarlane, like fucking angular gazunga ladies were like all over the place. Neil Boyd, who I believe was a level designer in the six person team. He said this of her breasts. <laughs> 
Toby developed the model to look like his drawings. I knew we'd get flack from people, but he wasn't bothered about that. He was happy with the way she was. I don't know whether uh, he had a thing for big breasts. He was a very secretive guy. You can f- <laughs> He'd so- never answer a question straight. And then Rummery says about dim titties. Uh, Toby was obviously trying to make her sexy because that was meant to be part of her character. He always claims he slipped on the mouse and made the breast bigger than he meant to. But how true that is, I don't know. Okay, (laughs) I've heard heard the glitch accident story a million times. And that is something I I would say to make up for it. But here's, here's, here's my personal theory. Uh, you can find the original Toby Gard drawings, and Laura is gifted anatomically. Yeah. She is, like, impossible proportion that, again, this was the 90s. This is the style. Our action stars, especially, as you mentioned, in comic books, they were all just massive-breasted. I remember there was one point when I couldn't even tell what was on the cover of the comic, the X-Men comic <laughs> yeah. book, because it was just giant breasts were in front of whatever was behind it. And I was like, Mommy, Mommy, why are there breasts blocking my superhero comics? Um, that, uh, that story was completely made up and fabricated. Uh, <laughs> every, every joke has a nugget of truth. Um, <laughs> and that nugget's fucking weed. <laughs> 420, Jake. I think we should plug back in the carbon monoxide alarms. I think we're suffering brain death. Um, okay, no, but hear me, hear me out, hear me out, hear me out. Uh, so the actual model of Lara Croft in the game is like not that crazy. Like, you know, she has video game proportions, but it's not like that that bonkers. And I feel like uh Toby Gard was deeply involved in the cutscenes as well. He was very invested in these cutscenes because it was where all the character building and story and you know kind of the cool attitude of the game was coming from. And I feel like during the cutscenes he played with the slider and made him a little bit extra and like he just left it in there and everyone was like Toby and he was like <laughs> it was an accident. It was an accident. No, I'm a drummer for the Beatles. No. Is that no wait, that's Northern That's Paul. That's more Paul McCartney actually. Midlands, um, um also, okay, so, but but here's the weird conflicting situation, right? Originally, and originally, Laura Croft was more more of like a militaristic type, kind of cold blooded. But uh, Toby Gard ended up creating, trying to play up more of the proper English lady aspect, which I think was really brilliant because you didn't have a ton of that kind of hero at the time. Now you also have this conflicting situation. You've got this big, sexy, giant breasted sort of. Uh, uh, we can say homunculus. Star. Homunculus, absolutely. And at the same time, she's this proper lady. She doesn't need a man. She's independent. She's, you know, she she's it it it, it almost feels like the the ridiculous like body type they chose for her almost kind of runs against everything they chose for her in terms of her personality. You know what I mean? Not that like giant-breasted women aren't independent and smart and British, but you know what I mean? It just they sort of paint her as this bodacious like calendar girl babe and then they, and uh, but they they want their cake and they want to eat it too. So they also print they also create this very like fucking strong awesome female protagonist you know which i think is wonderful it's on that aspect um of in the original tomb raider game which is what the one that guard was the most involved with um if you watch the cutscenes, if you listen to her dialogue she still has that like kind of edgy like fuck everything uh laura energy to her she has that cruisy energy to her and if you look at the original uh drawings those like dark sunglasses are like super like key in most of his drawings mm-hmm. uh the motorcycle like lark like the badass chick 
like kind of aesthetic, like the sexy gun toting, like, you know, again, late nineties matrix, uh, uh, Grant Morrison, you know, there's this kind of like cool standoffish, tough as nails, but still sexy archetype that guard is definitely playing into. And then like the British stuff, like the, the proper lady manner stuff, I feel like it's just kind of a twist on that. It's kind of, kind of just kind of funny that this like ass kicking adventurer that'll be like kicking a wolf in the teeth and like snapping one liners while she like blows up a yacht uh-huh. then like kind of retires to a stately manner that's just kind of a fun twist yeah um the uh the bodacious bombshell it's very it, well this, it's weird because is- a lot of the calendar girl aspect we're about to get into has a lot to do with the release and marketing he was really just the one that gave her like a really thin waist and gigantic breasts not only that but he also was very like into the plot and he was into like sure. animating her so sure. like he would be ref- like while everyone else was working on levels he would go in and just make sure that all of Lara's animations were like appealing and cool and that um kind of the you know the the dungeons and the adventure is one thing but like just the feeling of like taking control of this like i guess graceful and attractive thing is like was kind of his going obsession and like the way he talks about Lara Croft in interviews he's very protective he sees himself as her creator well and nowadays he doesn't like to talk to about her uh talk about her at all he he is uh very shy away from the press and he has we'll get into again very soon he has a bit of a bit of an issue with what uh turned out uh t- to happen with the Lara Croft Tomb Raider franchise. So they have a setting, they have a character, now they just gotta make the game. Mm hmm. Hey everybody, it's me, your beefy bruiser Jake, here to talk about this week's sponsor, Keeps.com. Now, at this point, you've heard me talk about Keeps. You've heard me say how convenient it is, how cheap it is, how within minutes you can have a licensed doctor go over your hair loss problems and recommend a treatment plan that has been FDA approved to treat male pattern baldness and thinning hair. You know this already. How? What more do I have to tell you guys? I've been getting my regular refreshes of the treatment plan and it is eye-opening just how much easier Keeps makes it than any other way I've tried in the past. I'm not saying this is for everybody. You know, this is a system to keep the hair you have. This isn't a magic full baldness cure. Those are called wigs. The fact is, is that if you feel like this aspect of your life is out of control, it's not. There are steps you can take to get this handled, and Keeps is the best way to stay on top of it. Keeps offers the only FDA-approved treatments for male pattern baldness, and that means it's safe, and that means it works, and that means you're not going to waste your time with a bunch of new-age hippy-dippy crap or just some generic placebo that's never going to work. I first noticed my thinning hair when I was still in high school, and I wish, wish there was a company like Keeps back then that could discreetly, easily, and professionally help me stay on top of this. All you need to do is go to Keeps.com and go through their very easy online questionnaire, and then a licensed doctor will go over your answers and provide a personalized treatment plan. After that, without even leaving your couch, the right treatment will be on its way to you, and you don't have to worry about it. Keeps offers generic versions of the only two FDA-approved hair loss products out there. And some of you have probably tried them before, but I guarantee you have not tried them this cheap. Keeps is only $10 to $35 a month, plus now you can get your first month free. That's right, free. All you have to do is go to keeps.com wizard. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash wizard. 
That's a free month of treatment for your thinning hair at keeps.com slash wizard. And honest to God, if you are worried about this, the earlier you act on it, the more hair you get to keep. That's just how it works. Keeps. Hair today, hair tomorrow. And uh, in order to do so, they create a... The, the big breakthrough with the game is that they end up creating like a grid system in the game, correct? Uh, yes, they create a it's it was because so much of the of the gameplay is about kind of traversing and like kind of navigating these chasms and vertical spaces. It was it was kind of hard to individually program each ledge and each obstacle. So they literally just made a level editor. Yeah, who was that? The, uh, uh, was that Rummery? Yeah, was that was Rummery. Created a level editor so that so that the level designers could just take these tools and just create whatever level they wanted. Uh, so they weren't just working completely from scratch. And in order to do that, that's why they had to create a grid system in order to be able to make a level editor work. Everything kind of fitting on a a section of grids and squares and everything. You can find footage like you know the kind of like weird video like the grainy .mov files you would get in an old PC game. Or uh, CD-ROM, you can find footage of them actually working. In the Derby Manor is like very humble. It's just beige walls, poor lighting, just a bunch of like Silicon Graphics workstations on shitty old furniture. It was it was amazing to see. But the original Tomb Raider was put together in a very drag and drop environment. It was kind of fascinating. You, I saw a clip of uh, Heather just kind of like making a tomb out of scratch, like putting in the pillars, putting in the lighting, literally dragging just like two wolves and the point where they'll notice Lara walking into the room. Mm. It was it was kind of like the game itself is very simplistic. But very, it was yeah, uh, very kind of janky and. But no uh, one had ever done it. You, you know, exactly. exactly. Uh, Mario did like the flat polygon kind of cartoony look, and that was more responsive. And Quake did like the dingy first person shooter thing. But traversing a three dimensional space with this attractive character in the third person was never done before. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it was done before. Please don't email me. Uh, kind was, of not though really it really kind of wasn't man this was really the first big release on this level when was uh yeah resident evil another similar early uh 3d offering also didn't the first time that was ten- not technically 3d because that is still yeah. pre pre-rendered area yeah, yeah. set areas that you're walking through it's it's very different this is this really was the forefront of 3d action platforming type puzzle solving type game one more thing that i just want to acknowledge about toby guard's weird late 90s nerd mind space that helped forge tomb raider is do you remember the plot of the first game uh not i mean it's i should it's so weird it's it starts off with like uh lara croft in peru uh, she the does, woman turn the woman is like trying to become a demon or something right it the, the goes into legit antagonist. balls to the walls david ike ancient atlantean yeah woogity goo yeah, yeah which is so like fucking british 90s it's like nerd conspiracy theory bullshit uh-huh. that it's kind of insane and that like level of i i you know you can listen to a million episodes of last podcast where they go into all the just ancient Atlantean sub Thumerians. I'm saying it wrong. (laughs) Lumerians. It's fucking nonsense. But, uh, and in later games, they just kind of go into mythology. It's always like, oh, Zeus or King Arthur or something. But again, when with guard on board at the height of his anxious young nerd energy, there's this 
horny chick with guns to like fighting ancient Atlanteans. And it's like so singular in its vision. That's just kind of amazing that like it became such a commodity. So IDOS takes this property and they're, they're ready to make it huge. They, uh, they get so horny with it. They just cannot, they cannot be less horny about, uh, any more. They just real, they just see what's unique about this game. They've got these like models at the press events, uh, showing up dressed like Lara Croft. They're, they're putting her, uh, looking seductive on the side of buses, going for the whole sex sells thing. They put her, they put, for them to put her name on the box, mm-hmm. yeah, and Laura, the, you know these veteran game guys are like, featuring Lara Croft, yeah, yeah, which is even though it was the first time she was ever appearing on in a video game, and yet it was featuring her, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they they uh, yeah they did this whole. Uh, release a launch party where they brought a bunch of magazine editors out to Egypt to celebrate uh, which by the way the dev team was not invited to the launch party of this rumor he said we saw these pictures of these journalists having a jolly oh I'm sorry I should probably do this in British accent We saw these pictures of these journalists having a jolly in the desert by the pyramids. And we were all sat there thinking, you bastards, we didn't get any of that. Um, and they sure didn't. And I think that that's insanely rude. I can't believe that that was like, okay at all. I would have been incredibly incensed if I created something and then wasn't invited to the launch party for the thing. Um, you know, one another thing doing research and like kind of watching a lot of like old BBC press clips and stuff is it's IDOS president Ian Living. Stone at the time, uh, who was, you know, doing, who was with the company for 20 years. Uh, in all of his interviews, he has like, he's in a nice mansion. He has like some like Lara Croft merchandise lying around. He's just like, well, she got a right pair of knockers, eh? <laughs> like that. Uh, them lads sure did love that shit. <laughs> like he's am- so cynical. Yeah. Um, and like, you talk to the developers and they were like, we spent a hundred hours a week. We slept in the <laughs> office. We right. couldn't get the code right. The fucking Saturn release was buggish. It never stopped. (laughs) And he's just like living it up. In fact, yeah, um, they were literally like when they saw all the the pictures of all these people at the launch event, they were literally toiling away trying to make the uh, international versions of the game. So they're still just slaving over this fucking game while everyone's partying off of their their, uh, success. I mean, it's one of the greatest, you know, it's musicians and the music labels, uh, you know, directors and the studios and you know idos was flailing they were like run they were losing millions of dollars a year and then within the re- like after the release of tomb raider they posted like a 15 million dollar profit like tomb raider sold like gangbusters and single-handedly like saved this entire company and idos was just pimping uh, that's that's too loaded of a word but they were selling the idea of sexy cool celebrity lara croft in any venue that would hold her picture and this infuriates toby so even though toby made her breasts very large Mm. uh he was very upset with the sexualization of his character he he really felt a, a a kinship to her in a strange way like the way the artist and his creation feel and he was incredibly angry at what idos was doing uh with with his property and and uh, so he ends up, uh, by the end of this whole process, saying, fuck it, I'm out, when they say, hey, we're going to go make another one. And uh, what's the spiel that um, Heath gives uh, Toby? Basically, even if he 
didn't like do anything for core. All he had to do was just sit around. He wanted him to stay at the company and even work on another game and not and just be there because the only way he the the large part of their contract was they got very good royalty payments off of the product. But the only way they can get the royalty payments if is if they're still working at the company. Um, and so uh, yeah, he this is uh, Jeremy. I took it quite personally, quite badly because I hired Toby when he was drawing pictures on the back of a crayon book. I took a gamble on him and everyone is trying to get him to not leave the company even though he wants to just walk away and start his own thing he thinks he's you know this golden child this genius that that will be fine without uh core and and uh without tomb raider and so um he and the program what's the programmer's name too that the his partner paul yeah his partner also paul douglas paul douglas he's also kind of taking with him um and uh, yeah, another quote from Jeremy is, it was incredibly uh, an incredibly sad day for me. Personally and from a business perspective, I was very upset. I was more upset for him. I don't think for one second that he was going to collapse my business. I was more upset for him because I knew how successful this game was going to be for all the people involved in it. And it transpired, and, and it transpired it was. These guys were all on royalties. They were potentially going to earn a huge amount of money, and they all did, apart from Toby and Paul is that is that the quote you had or did you have another I wanted spiel? to uh I, Give it I, all. I, Let's do I just wanted this one line uh I said listen Toby I'm your dad now okay now as your father I'm telling you this is simply the worst mistake you'll ever make and, you know, honestly, he, he did work really hard to try to get the marketing to be the way he wanted it. Uh, Rummery said that he showed them, uh, what, he, he felt like he lost control over his creation. He had ideas uh, he had ideas for the marketing that just got passed off. He, uh, Rummery says he showed them to the marketing guys and they literally batted him away. They said, who are you? Why are you trying to tell us what to do? You're a developer. They just couldn't believe there was a developer attempting to tell them how to market the game. He just got totally brushed off. My God, that annoyed him. He was just so mad that his baby had been taken away from him at the last moment. Uh, and Guard said of this, I had problems when they started putting lower cut clothes on her and sometimes taking her clothes off completely. It's really weird. In a lot of magazine ads, they would like mm -hmm. kind of put uh, Lara in like, uh, you know, kind of a pinup pose, kind of like a classic uh, Playboy kind right. of spread. And it would just be like, like you thought she looked good last time or something yeah. like sensual like that. It's really weird when you see a character of yours doing these things. You can't believe it. You think she can't do that. I've spent my life drawing pictures of things and they're mine, you know, they belong to me. So he just, he just felt incredibly, incredibly insulted by now, can what I they be, did. Can I be cynical? Sure. Okay. So like, I mean, I would be cynical and just saying you made you made of made them boobies all giant. Yeah. So that's the thing is like this is a very uh, I, this is a lot to unpack psychologically because like yeah I, f I feel like every red blooded guy who has like a horny streak in him maybe like gets into cartooning gets into like a two D kind of mindset uh, always has this idea of like oh yeah she's sexy and like she's got a good body but like she doesn't let that define her and she's actually really smart and she can disassemble a handgun and like she has this tragic backstory and she don't need no man and like you know you build all these piles of legitimacy and all it took was one marketing guy to be like okay so she's sexy right and just strips it all away because they see through the bullshit they right, know right. what 
like the core drive of it is exactly um so and, it's really just breaking it down to what it's broken down to in his head at the end of the day uh now can we take a break from uh the history segment i just want to get your thoughts like sure what do you remember about playing tomb raider uh well we were about to get into the making of tomb raider 2 my relationship was much stronger with tomb raider 2 tomb raider 2 i remember playing the demo on the demo disc i got the playstation uh like more during that around that time so that was probably what was that 98 I believe yeah. that was around when I think I got into the P- PlayStation biz. I was playing Crash Bandicoot. I was playing, and I was definitely playing a lot of Tomb Raider 2. What I remember about Tomb Raider 2 was the, um, I ended up getting a tiny little like strategy guide booklet that I used to get through the game. Uh, I But I was determined to finally beat this game. I remember I used to get stuck in the like second level, which was uh, or the second set of levels, which was set in Venice, mm-hmm. I believe. Uh, the, the, with that a, hard to control boat? Yeah, with that hard to control boat and a lot of swimming and it was a large area and it was very confusing as to where to necessarily go. There was a lot of like switches and opening up gates and different things like that. So I ended up getting this little strategy guide book and I went through the whole book step by step. It was like the first time I'd ever used a strategy guide to that degree where I literally let it just guide me through the entire game. And I remember being shocked when I got to the Buddhist temple at just how confusing Mm -hmm. and gigantic and intricate the puzzles were and just being like blown away that just saying to myself like how would anyone do this without a strategy guide and you only had like one save crystal per level or some bullshit like that that. was Tomb Raider 1 Tomb Raider 2 you could save anytime you wanted but the problem with Tomb Raider 2 being able to save whenever you wanted is when you accidentally hit the save button when you were literally falling (laughs) down uh, uh, an endless pit yeah and dying so you would do that You you could shoot yourself in the foot by doing that really easily. Um, I remember really loving the different environments. I remember really loving like the vehicles that they added into. They had like snowmobiles and stuff like that. Um, they had a fucking Yeti. Uh, and and the, that early room where you're just killing dinosaurs. I remember the final big level before you end up. I actually never could get past the mansion epilogue. Oh, that's at the so end. people. Th- that's a legendary yes. level for people. Legendary level. In Tomb Raider two, in Tomb Raider one, uh, with Toby Guard, you're fighting ancient Atlanteans and the Lum- Marians and the future of human evolution uh-huh. in uh, Tomb Raider. In Tomb Raider Two, <laughs> it's uh, a mob boss with a very stereotypically Italian name that I forgot. But he's uh, after it was it a statue that can turn people into dragons? <laughs> or yeah. was it an amulet? I believe so. Yeah, and you did fight a drag. A guy turns himself into a dragon at the end of the game, and you fight that. And I remember that was just like ridiculous. That is my favorite video game trope, by the way. Like, how many times a guy have we into played? A dragon. Have we played through games where the entire time all you're trying to do is stop this person from transforming into a big monster and then they do and then you, and then to, you just shoot them yeah you just shoot the shit out of them <laughs> it's like it's like finally the ultimate power of the ancients is mine well I, bullets oh no I, mean, I couldn't have expected bullets and boss fights from that long ago uh during the 3d crossover are just so ludicrous yeah, and, just... and janky and silly you know i mean you just had to hope for the best and eventually you'll kill it because of whatever it it you know it's fire didn't quite hit you or something like that uh is i do the one also with the weird butler you can lock in the freezer yes i believe so nice. that's the weird butler and um 
I later would replay the whole thing for some reason because I guess I had, I ended up with like a PlayStation at like a friend's house and it was at my buddy John's place actually if you watch uh, the John Twitchman sketch program and I decided to try, attempt it again without a strategy guide and I actually got all the way to the Buddhist temple before I finally fell apart and couldn't figure, no, did I get to the, because there's a whole giant level after the Buddhist temple that is the underground like Chinese temple that is also which by the way the Chinese underground temple especially when I was a little kid put me in the weirdest mood because it just the way it looked and sounded Mm -hmm. and felt it just like put me in a weird mood some of those old video games used to do that especially 3D ones because they were so dingy and because they were just so like I would they would literally like make me bummed out a little bit oh yeah no they were oppressive right Uh, especially because the PlayStation had that weird thing where like the textures would always flicker like they didn't have a proper Z buffer so it would like uh-huh. it, everything was always warping and weird I played uh, Tomb Raider uh, 1 on okay. the PC and oh wow the specific memory that like always uh, like goes back to me is the sound the repetitive sound of the dual pistol sound effect just uh-huh. that, like bang 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 yeah bang because you bang. just held it down because you just whatever. held it down and you know Lara kind of auto aimed yeah and then just waiting for the just the yeah. sad sound of a dying wolf. Yeah. It's just like, just jumping and, and running around. And it felt so sparse because there was a lack of music a lot. Like, anytime music happened, it was such a big deal. Even in 2, there was just such a sparseness to it. There was such a emptiness to the space that that was because of you know how early it was in the cycle of 3d gaming but also um it did kind of help give this sense of like oh my god i'm like lost in this environment this is like a big you know wild jungle or temple or whatever i'm in and i'm i'm just i'm just like creepily going through it kind of scared you know that's actually like People will give Tomb Raider a lot of points for that system because the going trend at the time, if you had like a CD-ROM based game, was you would just like let the level load up, let like a couple of shitty sound effects load up, and then everything would get drowned out by the CD playing some pre-recorded like rock track. Yeah. So it sounded like that too. It just sounded that like low fi Yeah. Yeah. Just noise. Um, and so the fact that Tomb Raider did rely on these kind of environmental cues for sa- for music was like they get points. They were ahead of the curve on that for sure, for sure. Um, so I so Toby leaves. Idos is in the money. They're like putting Lara in car ads. They're putting Lara in beverage ads. She's on the cover of like news magazines and lad mags, like Gumpers and Shootums and and Bounties. Um. <laughs> And Idos is like, well, we got to keep this gravy train rolling. Ida, uh, core, we need another one by next Christmas. We need another one by Christmas of 1997. That's going to give you eight months. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Neil Boyd said we would sleep under the desk for an hour and then wake up again and make a coffee. Uh, you'd splash yourself with water. When you work seven days a week, you don't get even get a day off to do your washing. It is very hard. He said, my wife divorced me because she wasn't seeing me. She sat me down and said, Neil, I haven't seen you for the past two years. Are you seeing another? woman i said god i wish i had time i had a daughter and she just didn't see me i had a daughter and she just didn't see me when i came home she wanted to go out and i was so knackered i'd say look i just want a beer and to go sit down and forget about that game and you can't quit because if you quit you lose all your royalties to the first game 
Um, uh, Jeremy Heath Smith said, at the time, it was really hard and really tough. We all worked, not only them, all of us, myself, my brother. We all were in every weekend for the best part of eight months working late at night. Uh, but and, but yeah, they did but, figure out a way to get Lara Croft's ponytail to move in real time. Yes, they did. The future, people. It looked really good. They made a lot of improvements on that game, and they made oodles and oodles of cold hard cash. Outselling the first game, which was already a world-changing smash hit. He Smith said, it was brutal and it was hard and horrible, but you know what? something? As soon as that game came out, it was unbelievably rewarding, because not only did we write what I felt was the best of the Tomb Raider series of games, it sold a complete boatload, and everybody had an amazing Christmas. We took six weeks off, we didn't come back to work, and it had tons of money to buy the family whatever they wanted. They uh, essentially just tweaked the original engine they had, but still worked with that engine to allow for a little bit better dynamic lighting, more fl- a more flexible control system. They also were able to uh, allow for a larger number of polygons to be rendered on screen, allowing for big outdoor areas, which is what I remember from Tomb Raider. Man, I just remember, I could honestly probably in my head, like walk through that opening level of, wow. of Tomb Raider 2 because I used to play, because I before I even got the game, I played it a shitload on like a demo disc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And would just play through it over and over again where you, you kind of start out, you immediately have to, you drop into that pool, you immediately have to kill like two tigers, and then you have to do a series of platforming to get over the thing. Um, it, it, I just, I remember, yeah, the spike walls closing in on you was always incredibly stressful and very hard to do, and I got like really good at doing that. I mean, it had and a really interesting flow walk, to it. That walk yes. through the spikes. They don't say you have to walk through the spikes. No. That got me so many times. Yeah, yeah. That uh, Just the whole walk up to the ledge, jump back, and then do the running jump to... Uh, with, like, oh, yeah, with the special button to hold your hands out. Yes, just so, yeah. yes. It was so... It was such a bizarre... And, of course, just tank control city. So weird. It wasn't... You know, this was before analog, analog sticks. Yeah. So you had just had these weird, awful tank controls to work with. But I got really good at, at doing it. I mean, I... Like I said, I, I got through that entire game, which was no, no easy feat. It was very, very difficult. And Ian Livingstone, uh, CEO of IDOS, was like, guys, great job. We're raking in the money. You guys are really, you're propping up this entire corporation. I live in an even bigger mansion now. Uh, Next game, next Christmas, get it done. The team wanted two years to develop the next one, but they got the same under-a-year deadline instead. Neil Boyd said of this, six of us went into Jeremy's office and we all handed our notice in at the same time. And would you like to know what he said? He said, no! You cannot leave this company. You've, 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 I'll give you a counter offer with a much better royalty rate, and you can stay, but you can work on whatever game you want. Uh, we'll get a new team in here to work on the next Tomb Raider game, and so they did actually all stay. And the development uh, for that game begins in December of 1997. Uh, it was originally planned to be a spin-off, the further adventures of Lara Croft, but then the uh, the original people who worked on Tomb Raider 2 didn't find out until a press release that it was actually going to be called Tomb Raider 3. That pissed them off. Uh, I really don't like a lot about what I've read about the way Eidos handled their communication with Core up to this point. It's very infuriating to see this. It seems so disrespectful to the artists that created the actual game, and I just hope that there are better practices today when it comes to the relationship between a 
publisher and a dev. There isn't. Um, <laughs> people have long. It's, it's so annoying. It's like these people worked so fucking hard. Just give them the respect to communicate with them what the fuck you're doing with the IP. It's this weird thing. And invite them to the fucking launch party, ass. It's honest to God. You can go on any forum right now and have people like arguing about this because now it's like crunch time is this weird thing where like the people who paid their dues and went through it don't want to see the next generation not go through it. Yeah. It was kind of funny. It was like reading um, Live from New York, that book about SNL, which I super like. It's my favorite book on sketch comedy. Uh, and at one point, it was like, I think it was Will Ferrell was talking. He was just like, we all of a sudden found ourselves just like going into work at like five in the morning um, or, or staying up overnight doing these like crazy overnights and like going into work and staying up all night and going home at five in the morning. And then they were all like, can we just start coming in and doing a nine to five? <laughs> no one's doing cocaine in the office anymore. Like we don't need to stay up all night. And so they went back to like a normal work schedule for writers. It was kind of funny to see where they finally were just like, we don't have to do this. <laughs> and I think that the, I think that games games and game production also needs to go through similar things. It just really every one of these stories I read about the development process and I get it. I mean, you know, heart you, you gotta put your heart and soul into something to make something great and, you know, it, it it's it's all about dedication and this and that, but it really is unhealthy and it just seems very wrong that we have this one part of our workforce that that our game devs clearly like ruining families, uh staying up way too late into the night, uh working way too hard on these things. It just doesn't seem fair that these people are uh, expected to put in this kind of amount of hours uh, into anything, you know? Now, uh, at this point, Lara Croft Fever has reached a global phenomenon, and it's riding on the backs of a few different things. Um, you know, there's uh, Cool Britannia, the fact that, like, Britpop, Oasis, the Spice Girls was taking over the country, yep. taking over the world, my mistake, taking over America. They even, they put giant plastic breasts on Big Ben um, <laughs> for a month. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, like, the... Uh, and the idea of uh, Lara Croft is this virtual celebrity. You know, we talked about uh, Hatsune Miku, one of our one of my favorite episodes. I honestly. love that episode. Um, and the idea that like real supermodels get old, real supermodels ask for more money, real supermodels aren't low poly homunculi, <laughs> and like Lara Croft could appear in anything. Lara, you know, people started editing their own Lara Croft like mods to get her like in skimpier clothing. The uh, you know, the rumor of the nude code, which never existed. It was never in the game. Uh, there was codes to get infinite ammo. There was codes to kill yourself in case you got trapped in the level geometry. There uh -huh. were codes for all sorts of things. Sorry, Brandon, on the playground, you didn't find the nude code. Yeah. You went online, you found a weird texture pack, and then you got to see a very blocky ass. Everybody knew about that nude code, and it was so hilarious. And everybody tried to do that swan dive into the swimming pool and get out of it and just the right way in order to get her to be completely naked and it was uh I mean no, so. believe me we all backed her against a wall so the camera would like show them triangles but like yeah. that was just pure desperation in a world where like the female form was a mystery and you were too young to do anything sticky, about it sticky 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 controller um 
and IDOS like leaned into that. They had yearly or not yearly, but they had these grand tryouts for who got to be quote unquote the live action Laura Croft. And for a while, that level of notoriety like launched careers. Uh, people like uh, Nell McAndrew and even uh, Rona Mitra, who was mm. like a legit actress for a while there, all got their start because they were the quote unquote real Lara Croft that went out to press events. Over at over at Core, the Tomb Raider crew are all like all every. Everyone's just looking at them and just getting real pissed off because they're rolling into the building in these fancy-ass sports cars. They've got just dumb money. They're spending the shit out of it. They're spending it like complete idiots. Some I forgot what the quote was, but somebody Wait, said the, we like had the, the most... non-Tomb Raider team looking at the Tomb yes, Raider team? Yes, looking uh... at the Tomb Raider team. We're, we're all getting very, uh, very aggravated with them. And I, I forget who said it, but somebody said they, they were like, we had the most ridiculous car park in all of Derby because you just had all these like not ridiculous-ass sports cars and stuff and just uh, the and poor just... team working on fighting force being like come <laughs> on guys we're cool uh sandham said of this sandham was a guy uh andy sandham was a guy that uh ended up working on i believe tomb raider 3 and the games onward he said towards tomb raider 4 people used to think we were twats because we uh because we knew we were the golden boys we would stride about the studio like armor-plated robots people didn't know about the royalty checks but they knew we were required for the day-to-day running of idos this wasn't conscious on our part, but we thought we're the dog's bollocks. We're making Tomb Raider. We were cock of the walk. I found out afterwards, understandably, that I was imitating, uh, that I was irritating the shit out of a lot of people. Uh, and the Lara Croft is starting to irritate the shit out of them. They're starting to get really sick of this franchise by this point. The people who have been making the first three Tomb Raiders. They're 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 hoping that um, uh, at some point this this whole thing will end. And in fact, they even tried to end it themselves by uh, attempting to kill off Lara Croft in a cutscene, hoping that uh, the-, the ending scene of Tomb Raider: The Last Revelation <laughs> involves uh, a collapsing tomb in which the last. Scene you see of Lara Croft is she is buried alive in a collapsing pile of rocks. Sandham said, we all wanted to kill Lara. Looking at Lara's avatar all day, every day for two years was about as much as some of us could take. Management were pretty hands off. So for two weeks, we hatched a plan to kill Lara and followed it through to fruition. Uh, and then he said, uh, I can uh, I can remember the loud fuck coming out of Jeremy's office when he saw the FMV. Jeremy, of course, uh, the CEO. He dragged us all in his office and said, what the fuck have you done we were like well we were getting really sick of her he said well you need to fix it so obviously with tomb raider 5 even though she got an entire pyramid on top of her she somehow managed to crawl well, out from underneath no no it. uh tomb raider well tomb raider last revelation uh she gets buried oh, tomb okay. raider chronicles they did this weird like post-mortem thing where it was like three people that knew her telling their stories of like Lara croft in the past and uh, that didn't do as well. No, um, Tomb Raider 5 is kind of the beginning of the end for the core Tomb Raider franchise, uh, at least the core side of it. They uh, they were, well, Sandemus says this to say, it was essentially, uh, before I get into this quote, it was essentially they just took all of their like B-side concepts and all of their sort of levels that didn't quite make it into other games and just shoved them into its own game. So essentially what you're getting with that title is just a bunch of leftovers. Yeah. So nothing nearly as good as anything else in the series and more importantly the fans don't get a clear answer of what happened to Lara which is all they like if you're if you're still on board if you're still like maintaining your uh, angel fire Lara shrine that's all you want to know right Uh, Sanim says this of Tomb Raider 5 Tomb Raider 5 was effectively a load of shit 
That was the most depressing one for us. We were effectively just doing that for a paycheck because no other team wanted to take it on. So we had to do it, basically. By that time, it had taken us its toll. Three years of hammering it, and we were burnt out. That shows in the product. It was released in 2000, and uh, yeah, it was kind of the beginning of the end. But the true end was definitely Tomb Raider, the Angel of Darkness, which was a hot, steamy, stinky load of garbage. Hey, man, listen. PlayStation's over, they've squeezed every last polygon they could out of it, but now the PS2, the Emotion Engine, new new hardware, new style, let's reboot this thing, Lara Croft is back, baby! Uh, by the way, it's still kind of buggy and we haven't worked out uh, the engine kinks, uh, could we get another year to develop it? Hi, we're IDOS over here, uh, can I have a moment of your time? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. As you can see, the game's kind of incomplete, uh, you know, it's it's very, we're, un, you know, this, totally, the totally. other, you know, the games that you made us do before, we were familiar with the hardware, and even then, breaking our backs, we barely could make the year deadline. Well, what what I think you guys should do is, even though Tomb Raider's kind of built on essentially creating this whole new genre and really innovating and doing new things with 3D platforming and mm-hmm. doing new things with the new system. Oh, we thank want God you, to, you understand. We want you to just mimic, like, Shinmu, because Shinmu's big right now, so you just throw random people around that have conversations and so that they can make, like, Larkov can make, like, pointless conversation choices with people, um, even though that's not anything that Tomb Raider's about. Also, Metal Gear, very big. Can we do, like, some stealth stuff and, like, um, make it more, you know, cinematic and hard-edged and, like, grittier than it was before? Oh, I mean, yeah, I, I think we can do that. I mean, obviously, that's a lot of new features you just outlined, so we're going to uh, we're gonna need a little more time. So uh, if you can just give us an extra year to implement that stuff. I see you haven't noticed the collar around your neck. Oh, the one that says uh, Tomb Raider and the Cradle of Life is coming out in the year 2003. And yes. That, that's that, a bunch of free publicity and we own you. That is actually uh, also electrically charged. So if you do ask for uh, us to push the deadline back, we will be shocking you uh, with that collar. Like, so. don't get me wrong. I read the collar. The collar definitely. <laughs> ah! Ah! Crikey! Crikey! A load of bollocks this is. Oh, my God. That man's penis exploded from the electric shock. Jesus. Jesus Christ, what are we going to do now? I'm also a cartoon character, by the way, and I've got an oversized cigar sticking out of my mouth. (laughs) So Tomb Raider Angel of Darkness is released for PlayStation 2, and it is buggy. It is incomplete. It's like empty. It's weirdly empty. They had to remove like giant chunks of the game. Most notably in the uh, Paris section of the game, there's just like kind of people to talk to but not really there's just giant empty sections of it because they literally just had to remove entire puzzles out of the game in order to get it to release on time they tried really hard to get the date pushed back even just another month or two and idos was having none of it they were just like even though jeremy him said the ceo himself was saying like please don't make us release this game it's not ready it's not going to be good idos just wouldn't hear it and and so they were they released this total bag of Shit. And it's a one-two punch because uh, not only is Angel of Darkness uh, mess and just doesn't do well, uh, Cradle of Life, the Angelina Jolie film, also tanks at the box office. Well, uh, the yes, first we movie, haven't talked about the movies much at all. Did you see the movie? I saw the first one in the theater. I didn't. Uh, I wanted to watch it with Marie, and she was like, "Oh my god, I loved it as a kid." You know, uh, Angelina Jolie was like so beautiful, and she was so tough, and I, I I admired her. And then I saw it, and within the first ten minutes, she's naked in a shower, and I was like, "Oh, this isn't for me." Um, but uh, 
The first movie was an international success. Uh, for a while, it was the record breaker for video game adaptation movies. Um, but for some reason or another, Cradle of Life just did not move the needle at all. And so those two huge failures basically kind of like nailed the coffin of Tomb Raider nearly shut. And Eidos freaked out. Yeah, it, it's it, and it's so crazy. As I said before about Jeremy kind of talk, uh, Heath, Heath Smith trying to convince them so much. Like, and Idos is literally saying, you know, we'll figure it out later. Um, that you know, just put it, just sh- shove whatever you have onto a CD and put it out. The press eviscerates it. I mean, if you remember games from this time, one of its major issues, which was such a huge. Uh, faux pas in video games of the time was the camera was just garbage like you just couldn't get the camera to fucking work at all it just sucked uh, it was just such a pain in the ass that was just the controls were shitty apparently like last like Rummery ended up returning to the team in 2002 as the studio's tech director um, and he ended up like just like literally weeks before it came out trying to have to create full on control mapping for the PC for like mouse and keyboard um, and the whole dev process was a complete shit show when Rummery gets in there uh, he's trying to figure out like what to do with this game but everyone's doing that thing that happens in companies everywhere where everyone's like oh i uh, this problem is because this person hasn't done this and then he goes to Mm. the next person he said everyone was keeping their head down no one wanted to take responsibility so it had no leadership it was just the mess you would expect to get if you allowed 40 people to do their thing without anyone coordinating it and he would literally go to one person and be like this can uh why is this why is this terrible and they'd be like oh it's this person's fault and then he would go to the next person number two and they would be like no it's person number three's fault he would go to person number three and person number three would go hey it's person number one's fault and everyone was just passing the buck no one was communicating and there was no management whatsoever so the whole thing was just an absolute disaster it, it really suffered, I think, from having too many people working on it uh, because Core just did not understand how to utilize that many people and motivate that many people to make a decent game. And then IDOS, the publisher, just just being completely ignorant to the the realities realities of how of the fact that the game was just so, so not ready to be put out. And and it's a bit of a victim to just time because there was no innovation there. They were just rehashing the same old things and. And then the last thing you want to do is try to just copy whatever else is going on out there. You know, what you want to do is innovate in in new ways. And that's essentially what Uncharted did using Tomb Raider as a template. And then, of course, Tomb Raider, the reboot, totally used Uncharted as the template to create their new thing. And I love how that the cyclical nature of those franchises. But I am jumping ahead quite a bit. Uh, So Heath Smith is let go. Um, upon the release of the Angel of Darkness, Rummery is put in his place. Uh, they started developing PSP games. IDOS sends word it will restructure and close down Core. They've moved the Tomb Raider franchise over to the hands of Crystal Dynamics, who are the makers of the Legend of Cain series. And Gex. Everyone keeps saying Gex. Legacy of Cain, but and fucking. Stupid Gex and dumb Gex. Crystal Dynamics is the house that. Gex built and dumb, stupid ass Gex. 
Uh, I Enter the Gecko. Oh, my Jesus. Terrible game. And so uh, they're working on PSP games. IDOS sends down word it will restructure and close down core. Um, and so they ended up convincing uh, them to stay, get to, for uh, IDOS to give them a stay of execution, essentially. And so they keep working on that. And all the while, they're trying to pitch a... Tomb Raider 10th anniversary or, or a Tomb Raider remake of the first game for fans because they know that's what the fans want. They want a remake of number one set with modern day uh, equipment or, or software, technology, and hardware. Put it out on the PS2. It'll be a big smash. Well, they pitched that and they worked so hard to try to get that to happen for it to drop on the 10th anniversary. But uh, all the while, Crystal Dynamics was also working on a template on a demo for a Tomb Raider 1 remake. So, um, uh, they IDOS ends up going with the Crystal Dynamics Tomb Raider, and so you have the you have the trilogy. Okay, that's what you get. You've got Tomb Raider Legends, right? And then, um, and then the tenth anniversary. Or it's just called Tomb Raider Anna- Anniversary. Tomb Raider Anniversary, and then um, Underworld. Those were the three of that time, right? And these are interesting games. These games are essentially. They actually, again, from the borrowing, uh, they stole a lot from the Prince of Persia games that Ubisoft had been putting out Uh with with the the kind of refined uh, 3D platforming. And it definitely feels like that point in between where we got from the very beginnings of the 3D action adventure platformer with the first Tomb Raider and where we get with the stellar Uncharted series that comes out um, years later. This is kind of like that, that uh, the, the platforming is getting better, but it's not great. Um, the combat's getting better, but it's not great. The, the, the graphics are markedly improved and much smoother, but it, it's still not quite that seamless, smooth. I feel like I'm in a movie action sequence stuff that you get with like Uncharted. You know what I mean? They, t- yeah, they, although, um, that one of the things, uh, I, uh, when, Tomb Raider goes over to Crystal Dynamics, an old familiar face gets back in the picture. Toby Gard joins the team at Crystal Dynamics, and he gets to kind of reforge what uh, Lara Croft is about. Oh, wow. If you look at the redesigns in those earlier Crystal Dynamics games, like, they kind of, like, they give her, like, the smooth sheen of, like, a higher uh, fidelity model, but they kind of, like, tone down the bazonkiness of her figure. She's still very shapely, but it's less, like, comical. And uh, they kind of reintroduce that kind of hard-nosed action edge. She's, like, definitely shooting more guys and has more of an attitude in those games. Uh, in an ultimate irony, uh, core design is uh, shuttered for the last time. And a few months later, the town of Derby, uh, not really understanding the intricacies of video game uh, politics, uh, has an open vote to name a street after Lara Croft because she's their homegrown hero. Huh. And the core design team, who has long, who has been deman- d- disbanded months earlier, shows up for the uh, dedication oh, ceremony. Oh, that's amazing. You can still visit Lara Croft Way. It's a roundabout, so like... That's actually kind of annoying. I hate driving and you hit a roundabout. But uh, you can visit Lara Croft Way in Derby at, to this day. I mean, a little quick side note, too. Core did get sold off to Rebellion, uh, a different company. They were renamed Rebellion Derby. And they put out a game called Rogue Warrior, which is known as one of the worst uh, video games of all time. Mm. And that's when they got shuttered for good. Uh, it was apparently has a rap in the credit sequence by Mickey Rourke that is notably terrible. So I uh, got to find that, man. I, maybe we'll play it. Maybe I'll send it to Mary. We can play it right now. Oh. Surprise, motherfucker. 
motherfuckers. Happy fucking birthday. So anyways, as we all know at this point, or as you probably know, IDOS Interactive is purchased by Square Enix in 2009, which leads to the 2013 Tomb Raider reboot, where we get a normally sized breasted Lara Croft, or a more reasonably sized breasted Lara But she's Lara younger, Croft. so she's still hot. <laughs> yeah, she's definitely younger. They they do the whole that whole thing where it's her origin story, so they're like, at the very beginning of the game, they're like, Lara Croft, I know you don't want to, but you must kill. And she's like, I can't, I can't. And then like five minutes later, she's just slaughtering like an entire base full of fucking military dudes with a pickaxe what are you gonna do um it's a great game i really like the reboots they they definitely feel like uncharted games but they have some really cool platforming uh oh other thing that uh that uh the tomb raider reboot does right they brought on rihanna pratchett terry pratchett's daughter famous uh to be the lead writer so at the very least it's like less of toby guard's weird military gun game fantasy and more of like trying to tell a more honest story yes yes and um rise of the tomb raider which came out in what was that 2016 i think i believe technically 2015 okay was it was, holiday 2015 probably i think they made it like an xbox one exclusive initially and uh-huh. that was like then everyone was like can we get it for real systems and everyone's like okay sure 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 <laughs> so yeah that came out uh that's right it was it was a timed exclusive for i remember that because i was like fuck i want to play that <laughs> but then by the time i got it it was like on sale on steam so yeah. i was like actually i'm kind of glad you did that i uh i'm playing it now it's great i really enjoy it. it it may suffer from a bit of mundanity just because it is playing off of you know if you've played an uncharted game if you've played what you 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 kind of know what the deal is here they do add some metroidvania elements to it that make it really cool where you kind of have to go back and check out more stuff it, they also added uh um because of a complaint from the first game more tombs there were very few tombs in the first game and the tombs that there were were always really interesting and cool they'd be little little puzzle challenges and there just weren't quite enough of them so they added a lot more tombs a lot more exploration in Rise of the Tomb Raider and of course they're coming out with a new one is it what is it called again Shadow of the Shadow Tomb of the Raider? Tomb Raider which yes. is being developed by Eidos Montreal in okay. conjunction with Crystal Dynamics and at this point uh Eidos had kind of gotten folded into the Square Enix conglomerate yes uh and I, and I and look it up I'm I'm, get, I'm getting winded <laughs> um uh I yeah I, I really do like where the series is at now it's not like blowing out you know blowing anything out or anything it's not necessarily like innovating in huge ways but I do think they did take especially the platforming from the Uncharted games and really added some cool elements to not make it feel like, oh, I'm just like tapping X on autopilot whenever mm-hmm. I'm climbing things. Like I, I was just playing it last night and they have some really fun sequences where you really do have to pay attention and do it right and like hit, you know, square here and hit the thing there and throw the thing that, you know what I mean? And and the combat's really fun too. The stealth is decent. It's all it's all there. It's all, it's all quite fun if you're looking for that fun action set piece. The story are never anything too incredible and one of the notable things too from the first game that they softened up on on the second was they they were having they had like very aggressive death sequences for Lara Croft well, she'd that be like was... impaled on fucking spike sticks and stuff let's okay let's get uh, how, how let's get into this actually okay. um so in the original games, Lara Croft's deaths were like pretty graphic for the time True. because you never really saw like, you know, when Mario died or when Sonic died, it would just be like, and then they'd go like, oh, no, and like right. kind of just fall off screen. Whereas in the original Tomb Raider games, you would hear Lara go like the blood curdling ah! and yeah. then like her lifeless body would like collapse to the ground or she would struggle as she drowned. It was like yeah. kind of intense. Pretty um, rough. 
And so the tomb and uh, Toby Gard actually talks about this in uh, one of his very rare interviews that uh, he noticed that gamers would go out of their way to kill Lara Croft because it was this weird power dynamic relationship where like you admired this character, you like wanted her beauty, but you also controlled her totally because it was a video game. And like, I'm not, a, I'm not going to get all Freudian psychological on here, but like the way that like men and women react to characters in video games can get pretty fucked up. Uh, and it's, this isn't like an isolated phenomenon. If you, in the, uh, in the uh, British show Spaced from, uh, you know, the Cornetto trilogy guys, uh, you know, Simon Pegg and uh, and uh, Edgar Wright, uh, there's a scene where the main character, having gone through a difficult breakup, is playing Tomb Raider 3 on a loop uh-huh. and just watching Lara drown. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's very, so like the, um, the, like the way that you are at once like kind of protecting Lara from these abysmal fates, but also taking control of her to kill people is kind of, it's this gateway into all sorts of discussions that people can have. I, uh, you know, as soon as she was introduced, people were having all these like lofty feminist arguments about like literal, like academic papers with the titles of something like Lara Croft adventure heroine or cyber bimbo, a a reading (laughs) like, and, uh, I think that through the lens of time, a lot of female gamers and like lady geeks are like acknowledged that she was kind of a corn doggy design. But at that era, she was all you could get. And like through her kind of evolution yeah. to the modern games, a lot of people are happy to see Lara Croft kind of become her own uh, like unique character that can like offer more than just the uh, cover of Gazunga magazine. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think that about wraps it up, Jake. Uh, that's our story, uh, our episode rather, on Tomb Raider and Lara Croft. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. If you did and you want to attempt to uh, support this show financially a little bit, check out our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Five bucks a month, you get that bonus, bonus, bonus content. Uh, we talk about all sorts of things. Recently, we had a really cool discussion about our time doing comedy in New York City and just crazy stories. Stories from doing awful shows, and uh, that was so much fun. There's all sorts of different things on there, so check us out. Interviews with celebrities, and if you uh, that you've heard of, and if you patronize us already, I just want to say a sincere thanks. We've received some more patronizings this past week, especially that I really just appreciate so much all the support and love from you guys. And uh, if you want to check me out on Twitch.tv, Twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. You can follow me on Twitter at BestJakeYoung, and I do stuff for Dorkly as well as the Drawfee channel on YouTube. All right. Thank you so much, everybody. Take care. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, We've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support so you can find your way forward and always keep striving.
Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.